and sisters, we're going to go to the Gospel of John. We were looking into the first couple of verses last week. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. This is where we're going to be looking at this morning in verse 4. In him was life. So John here is, is still introducing the Word. The Word who was in the beginning with God. And... <coughs> was God. Not only was he at the beginning with God, he, he was God, or he is God himself. All that was made, was made through and for him. Think about Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where he says, for of him and through him and to him are all things. All glory be to God forever. But the word is here also shown to be life. Life and light. And this life is the light of men. John writes to show his readers who Jesus Christ is. And again his aim is to show that these things are written. That you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in believing him, you may have life in his name. John 20, verse 31. That is the reason why John wrote this gospel. That's the reason why he sent it out. Was that you may read these things. And who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those he wrote then. And he's speaking to you and me today. That even now. That as we read what he wrote. Inspirationally. Inherently, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspired word of God, even now, even today, even in this very room, in this very moment, that we might have life in his name. In him was life. In the word was life. The word is Christ, isn't it? That's who it's referring to. The Son of God. Who was before time in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning then was life. That's what he says. In the beginning was life. How many of you have ever, maybe at school, maybe in your own interests, maybe, I don't know, looked on, the, on Google, asked Google or whatever about the Amazon rainforest? Huge place, not as big as it once was, as it's been cut down and destroyed in many places. But it's a huge, vast place. It's an ecosystem that is one of the most biodiverse diverse places on Earth, the Amazon. Over three million species live in the rainforest. Three million species. And over two and a half thousand tree species 
or over one third of all tropical trees that exist on earth are found there. And they help to create and sustain this vibrant ecosystem that is found on the Greenpeace website, if you want to find any more about that. Also, an estimated 50 to 80% of all life is found under the ocean. 50 to 80% of all life is found under the ocean surface. And the ocean contains 99% of all the living space on the planet. Less than 10% of that space has been explored by humans. That makes 89% still left unexplored. Where there will doubtless be species of animals and fish and creatures we don't even know are there. And yet God knows. The vast life that we see in the rainforest and in the ocean. And you probably know this already, but according to the most recent United Nations estimate, elaborated by Worldometer, as of March 2022, the current world population is 7.9 billion people. It's a lot of people. According to amend.org, in the early years, everything was made of gas. Mostly hydrogen and helium. Expanded and cooled. Over billions of years, gravity caused gas and dust to form galaxies, stars, planets and more. The matter that spread out from the Big Bang developed into everything in the universe, including you, apparently. That's, again, from a place called amend.org. Interesting, isn't it, to ask the question, where did the gas come from? Gas expanded and cools and there's a big bang or whatever, where did the gas come from? And also ask yourself the question, how many explosions have you seen that create anything? You take dynamite, you put it into the four corners of a building and you explode them, you detonate them. What happens? The building falls. It doesn't create a building, does it? I mean, I find this absolutely ridiculous. Logically ridiculous. That a big bang formed life. That you came out of an explosion of gas and helium over time. Sorry, but all I see in explosions is destruction, yeah. not creation. But this is what atheists believe, friends. This is what they believe. It takes, for me at least, it takes more faith to believe this than it does to believe in a creator. But this is what atheists believe. They believe that matter came first, that it came from the Big Bang, that life developed from that. They, of course, have no proof of this, though it is actually taught as fact in schools, that this Big Bang is actually fact, that it happened and this is where we come from. But they have no proof. Neither can they explain where gas and matter come from, which caused this Big Bang. Matter first, 
than life. But you and I, friends, if we're Christians, we believe something altogether different. We believe the exact reverse of that. Life, then matter. The biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest, with all its species, with all its plants, with all the magnitude of life in the ocean, many that we haven't even discovered. Or the 7.9 billion human beings living on the planet today. That does not constitute life. Not in its origin, not in its absolute sense. And yet that's what people believe. John 1, 1-4 again says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with Him. But look what it says about Him. Without Him, nothing was made. Everything was made through Him. In Him was life. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Before matter, there was God. Before anything existed, there was God. Before matter, there was God, the Word, the Son, the Christ. And in Him was life. Not matter, then life. In Him was life. True life. You see, there was a beginning to the universe. There was a beginning to the galaxies. Beginning to the planets, a beginning to the stars, etc. There was a beginning to the earth, a beginning to its vegetation, the animal kingdom. And a beginning to mankind, who is the crown of God's creation. But there was no beginning to true life. No beginning to an eternal, infinite, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipotent, almighty God. All life and all matter came from Him. No beginning to God. People may say that, may ask that question, well, where did God come from? He always is. He said, didn't he? He said to Moses, when asked, who are you? Who shall I say sent me? I am sent you. Not I am God or I am anything else. Simply, I am. I am everything. And everything that is comes from me. The chair there that Daniel's holding on to, the matter that he's holding on to, the clothes that we wear, the life that we have, the beat of our hearts, all comes from God. It all comes from Him. Acts 17, verses 23, or half of 23 to 25, says, Therefore the one who you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything from you. And let me say this to you. He doesn't need your worship. But he demands it. 
and he commands it because he is worthy of it but he doesn't need it God doesn't need anything nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives all life he gives to all life, breath and all things verse 28 says for in him we live and move and have our being this is why we've got to trust in Christ for our lives no matter what the world tells us no matter what the world shows us no matter how it starts to crumble down at every pillar no matter if the trees start to die or the air is polluted in him we live and move and have our being not in anything else we're not reliant upon anything but God for our life for our uh, providence, for what we need in life. We don't rely, I don't rely on anything but God. You don't rely on your jobs. You rely on God for your provision. That's who gives it. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground. If you stop there, you kind of have a picture of a man being formed out of the dust of the ground, you kind of just lie in there. Inanimate. But look what it says after. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Yeah. Before God did that, he wasn't alive. He was formed from the dust of the earth. But until God breathed into him. And it's because he breathed into him that we live. Yeah. He became a living being. Daniel speaks to Belshazzar when he was lifting himself up against the Lord of heaven in Daniel 5 verse 23. Speaking to the king, Daniel says, You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Which do not see or hear or know. But listen to this. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. That's the same for you and me. He holds our breath in his hands and all owns all of our ways. Job 12, 9 and 10 says, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Our lives are in his hands. All life is in his hands. All life comes from him, no matter what it is. No matter whether it's the moth that flickers around your light at night, whether it's the animals that roam the plains of Africa. 
whether it's the bacteria that we can't see. All life comes from him. And all matter comes from him. There is life only in Christ, friends. True life. As noted, there are 7.9 billion people alive on the planet today. God has breathed life into man. 7.9 billion of them. These people all have biological life. Brains function. Hearts beat. Blood runs warm. Bodies live out their lives in every corner of the globe. And all this by the power of God. Who upholds everyone. Even those who hate him. You know, just think about those men that surrounded Jesus, that pulled his beard out, that spat in his face and slapped him. Their lives were being upheld by the very one they were beating. You know, if that were you and me, I'd have clicked your fingers and they'd have dropped dead right there and then. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he ain't me. <laughs> because he's not a God who has revenge. He will have his vengeance in righteousness and just justice and godliness and holiness. But I would want vengeance out of something far, far darker than that. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. That's from Colossians chapter 1. But we've got to ask the question then, friends, haven't we, this morning? Is, is this... Is this life, this biological life, the fact that we live and move and have our being, the fact that we breathe, the fact that our hearts beat and our brains function, that we can eat and drink and sleep and talk. So is this all that John's speaking about here when he says in him was life? Is John even making that his main point? already established that John's desire is to emphasise the deity of Jesus Christ and in vehemently opposing heretical doctrines of the day to prove that the Son of God, the Word who was at the beginning with God and who was God has a physical body and dwelt with them really that he wasn't just some phantom, just some appearance that didn't have a body John is showing that in Jesus Christ is real life. Eternal life. Friends, the truth is that there are billions of people across this globe today who are alive, yet they are dead. Billions. Alive in the body. And yes, that life is from God. Yet they're spiritually dead. 
more people than we would, we would like to believe. Alive and yet dead. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, David says, in Psalm 51. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Born in sin. We are told in 1 Corinthians 15 that death came by man and that in Adam all die. In Adam all die. Are you from Adam? I am. In Adam all die. That due to sin and disobedience to the law of God we are dead in trespasses and sin. See that in Ephesians chapter 2. All have sinned, and we see that the wages of that sin is death. Romans 3, verses 23, and then we can look at Romans chapter 6, 23. Now, what is it? What is it to be spiritually dead? Those who live according to the flesh, it says in Romans 8, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or worldly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal, the worldly mind is an enmity with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We are by nature at enmity. We are nothing in common with God at all. We hate Him. We want no part of Him. We are argumentative with Him. We are distanced from Him. We don't even want to be close to Him. Enmity. The, the line is broken. We're so far away from God that we don't even want to bridge the gap of our own nature. Tongues practice deceit. We have no fear of God. We change the truth of God into a lie filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness and covetousness. Maliciousness, full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, evil mindedness. We have become backbiters, haters of God, violent, it says, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful sons of disobedience. <coughs> Again, in, in Galatians 5, where we see the fruits of the Spirit, we also see the fruits of the flesh. Yeah. The fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the unrighteousness. The fruits of the flesh, which are evident, it says, are these adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, 
lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. R.C. Sproul notes, To be spiritually dead is to be diabolically alive. To be spiritually dead is to be diabolically alive. He also goes on to say, to be spiritually dead is to be worldly. It is to buy into and follow slavishly the values and customs of the secular nature, culture. Sorry. Not only to do, not only do the spiritually dead follow the course of this world, they follow the prince of the power of the air. That's what Sproul notes with regards to being spiritually dead. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, according to scripture, the trouble with man by nature is not that he is incomplete, but that he is dead. Many people say there's just a missing piece. There's a God-shaped hole in the heart. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says that's not the trouble. The trouble isn't that you're incomplete. You just need that little bit of help by God. He actually says the truth is that you're dead. To be dead is dead. I think it was Paul Washer once that was talking about being dead. And he said if there was a man here lying dead on the, on the stage. He says are you going to ask him? Go on ask him to get up and make you a cup of tea. Can't do it. Why? Because he's dead. Unable to be dead, it means you can do nothing, you're dead. Yeah. Spiritual death is separation from God caused by sin. And since we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all born in sin, we're all therefore born spiritually dead. In Him was life. Outside of him is only death. Yeah. Oh, there is wonderful news. We've got a room full of wonderful news, hopefully. We've got a room full of new creations. John 5, 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Hallelujah. If you believe on the Son of God this morning, dear friends, if you trust in him for your righteousness, if he has become your righteousness, it says here that you have 
you shall not come into judgment. How many times do we convince ourselves that we're still going to stand before God and be crushed by him for something we've done? When he's going to come down with some heavy stick upon your back, give you 40 lashes, minus one, for your sins. It doesn't say that. It says if you believe on him, you will not be judged. Not unto condemnation. He says you shall not come unto judgment. But you've passed. Listen to the words, friends. You've passed from death into life. In him was life. Therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that's the question, isn't it, this morning? Are you in Christ? Do you know him? Is he yours? Have you believed upon his name? Have you passed from death to life? Because it says if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Listen. New creation means new. New creation means change. New creations means you're not what you were. Doesn't mean you're sinless. Doesn't mean you don't sin. Doesn't mean you won't slip. Doesn't mean that you won't think wrong thoughts. It doesn't mean you won't act on them at times. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. What it means is that you were once under the dominion of sin. You had no way out, no way from under its power. That you were a son or a daughter, if you like, of disobedience. That you followed the prince of the power of the air. That there was no hope for you in the covenant of Israel. But if you're in Christ and you're a new creation, you've gone, you've passed from death to life, you're no longer under the dominion of sin. It no longer has power over you, but you're in a body that's dead. You're in a mind that's corrupt and you're fighting it and you're going and pressing into that holiness every day for that which no one can see God. That you strive after holiness and righteousness, that you don't want to sin, that you hate the sin that you once loved. That when you do sin, you grieve over it, you mourn over it, you take it to the Father. You ask him in his mercy, oh Father, forgive me. And as a father, he does. That's a new creation. Because before you were a new creation, you couldn't care a tuppence about whether you sinned. You probably didn't even think you were sinning. You probably just thought it was the beastly nature that's just that human nature that we all have. It's not sin, it's just what we are. It's just that animal instinct that we have. That now you know differently. And as it says in 1 John, we have an advocate. I say these things to you that you might not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate before the Father. The mediator between God and man. The The man Christ Jesus. What assurance, friends, we have. This is the testimony 
that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It should be making you ask questions. Do I have the Son? If I have the Son, I have life. If I don't, I am dead. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you, he made alive. He made alive. He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So then, if we have this new life, what ought we to do with it? What ought we to do with this new life? Let's look back to the verses we were dealing with in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 particularly. It says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued. If you're a new creation, if you're in Christ, if you've been changed, you're going to continue. You're going to continue on in the apostles' doctrine. You're going to love the Bible. You're going to want to read it. You're going to want to be in it. You're going to want to be listening to people who preach it. You're going to want to know the truth. You're going to want to have it as your workbook. You're going to hunger and thirst after it. You're going to continue on in that. And you shouldn't be going from one degree to another. You should be growing in that desire. Not getting less. You should want to continue in fellowship. You want to be around people of like mind. How blessed is it to be around people who love God? Yeah. If you're a Christian. Even if you don't know them. Even if people walk through this door right now that you've never met. And you can tell they love God. You've got a connection, a unity with them instantly. Yeah. And you love them because they're brothers and sisters. You want to continue in that. Why do you want to be around darkness? What has... Light with darkness. What has righteousness got to do with unrighteousness? What has Christ with Belial? Separate yourselves, therefore, it says, from these things. We want to continue on in breaking bread. We want to continue on steadfastly in prayer. We want to be a part of the prayer life of the church, surely, if we're born again. We want to be involved in corporate prayer as a body of believers, together. Do you have this new life, friends? I'm not talking about profession. I'm not talking about the fact that we profess to be a Christian. Not that we profess to have a belief. Not a profession to say, yes, I've known the Lord for 25 years. I'm talking about the fact of a changed life. A new life. New desires. The question is, do you want more of Christ and less of the world? They are very searching questions. Do you love the world more than Christ? See, the lives of these people were radically changed. Not a, a flash in the pan. 
Not a jumping up and down to a Hillsong song, waving her arms in the air, only to go back into a life of sin the next day. That everything that they knew, all that they may have planned for their future, changed in a moment. In him was life. Not in him was a moment. Not in him was a, a flush, of, a hot flush of feeling. Not in him was a profession of faith. Not in him was the cherry on top of an already nice life. Not in him was Sunday Christianity, with the rest of the week being my own. No. No, friends. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. Paul's own confession in Galatians chapter 2.20 is this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to read to you just a few verses from Colossians chapter 3. I want to want you to remember that he is reading, sorry, he is writing this letter to the church. If then, it says in Colossians 3, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, therefore, because of everything I've just said, put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's talking to the church. You should be putting these things away, is what he's saying. When he spoke about it earlier in Galatians, talking about the fruit of the flesh, he was talking about adultery and fornication and other things. And you notice he puts them in two different categories, adultery and fornication. Adultery is, is sleeping with another man's wife or, or another, uh, another husband's wife or vice versa. A wife or a husband that's not your own. And then he says, fornication. Sleeping with somebody you're not married to. Whether you've been with them for, for one year or 50 years. He's saying to the church, put away these things. Stop doing it. If you're a new creation in Christ and you love God with all your heart, you don't want to be doing these things. Put them away. 
Put to death your members. What, what do you mean put to death? Why do you need to put them to death? Because it's hard, because your flesh wants it. And you have to kill it. Mortify, it says in Romans 8.13. Put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit of God. He's speaking to the church. He says this, because, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Then he says this in verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Lastly, Apostles chapter 1, Paul prays for them. Friends, in him was life. In him was life. Yes, biological life. Yes, life for all the animal kingdom and all the vegetation and all that's in the sea and all that's in the jungles. The life of every one of us here today, but in him was life. Eternal, true, new creation life. Paul says this, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. This is what we're supposed to do with this new life. Walk worthy. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might. According to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If that is the case for you today, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Son, don't you want to live for him? Yeah. Don't you want to please him? Don't you want to walk worthy of the call he's placed upon you? Don't you want to be fruitful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God? The joy in your heart? Friends, that's what we're to do with this new life. In him was life. And he's given us new life that we may live according to his glory. And it was Paul's prayer to the Colossians that they would do so. And that's our prayer for each other today, isn't it? Yeah. We might live for it.
especially in these dark days. Where everything, where wickedness is growing and abounding all the more, every turn, every turn of our head, what we want to be is those saints that are in the light and to be beacons of that light to all those around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. In him was life. Lord, all life is in you. The very lives that we have, where we're sat or standing in this room, Lord, is in your hands. The, the breath that's in our lungs is in your hands, Lord God. And, and the truth is, Lord, you could snuff that breath out at any time. Yeah. Lord, help us to learn to live according to the confession that we've made. Lord, if we are Christians and we have come to know Christ and we're in him, Lord, would you cause us to put to death the deeds of the flesh? Would you cause us not to be liars? Would you cause us not to be those who, who are untrustworthy? Would you cause us not to be those who are unclean and have evil passions? that covet things, that have idolatry in our lives. Lord, would you cause us not to be those people who commit fornication or have adultery in our hearts? Lord, would you cause us then to put these things off? Mm. Even if it means putting to death the desires of our flesh, mm. that our hearts may be broken. Lord, it's better that our hearts be broken and to be in eternal torment in hell forever. Lord, help us, we pray, to not be those that just confess Christianity. Lord, cause us to live it. Lord, I ask for everyone, my brothers and sisters this morning, myself, my family, <coughs> cause us to live what we profess. Cause us to live what we confess. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us, Lord, to put to death all those things that are sinful. And to go on from one degree of glory to another, pursuing that holiness without which we won't see God. Lord, going again from one level to another in our sanctification. Lord, do it, we pray. For your own glory, do it for your name's sake, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.